yes, for now. Thank you. Sing a couple at the end, maybe. This Sabbath afternoon, we turn together to the book of Proverbs, continuing our series, the book of wisdom, as we prepare to remember the Lord in a special way, His table. Keep that in mind as we consider the subject, the believer's necklace. What should we adorn ourselves with? Should it be a ring, a bracelet, a necklace? Well, rings are normally covenant tokens of marriage. May I say that a necklace is a covenant token of our relationship with the Lord, our Christianity, if you will. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Read the first portion. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow thy bones. Our text is verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. There is the believer's necklace. Mercy and truth should be bound around our necks. The focus this afternoon is on the word that's translated mercy in chapter 3 and verse 3. And it's used nine other times for a total of ten times in Proverbs. A famous word in the Hebrew, kesed, which speaks of covenant love, covenant mercy. It's used primarily of the Lord, that He loves us in a covenant relationship, not in a loose, random relationship. In other words, He is committed himself to love a people in a certain way as a Savior uh, with the, uh, the atoning work by the atoning work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And in return, we also exercise this kesed, covenant love, covenant faithfulness and loyalty because we're the Lord's and because in His grace, in His power, He has changed our lives and caused us to become loyal and loving to Him. Four times we have 
the couplet, Mercy and Truth. Chapter 3 and verse 3, 14, 22, 16, 6, and 20, 28, which are significant. Mercy and truth may be what's called a Hendiades figure of speech, where you combine them for a, a comprehensive thought. So mercy and truth might be translated, or, or the idea is loving lawfully. In other words, there's a way in which we love the Lord and a way in which we love our neighbor. Not to our own imagination. How shall we love the Lord? Well, He gives us four commandments to flesh out our love for Him. We love Him uh, uniquely. Only the Lord and no one else. We love Him in the ways in which He has prescribed us to love Him. Means of worship, commandment number two, we love him reverently, joyfully. We use his name, which speaks of his attributes, his his proper names, his words, his works. We love him in appreciation of all his name that his name encompasses. And we love him especially by keeping one day in seven holy, like today, the Lord's Day. We've been studying creation in Sabbath school. and It is noted that the week, the seven-day week has no other basis than outside of Scripture. Its basis is found in the Word of God. God worked six days and rested the seventh. The seven-day week, and one in seven, we set aside especially for the Lord today. And so public worship should be uh, engaged in on the Lord's Day and from morning till evening, Psalm 22, or Psalm 92, which is a psalm for the Sabbath, which is the first verse of the psalm. And so those who say there is no Sabbath, well, I, ha- I guess they have to erase the first verse of Psalm 92. Of course, there continues to be a Sabbath. Was the latter part of the seven from creation to the resurrection of Christ, and now the first part of the week, the first day of the week from the resurrection of Christ to the end of the world, and even after that, we will be engaging in one long Sabbath eternity, day of eternity. So my thoughts today, and and a believer. Proverbs doesn't touch on all the evidences of covenant love, but we are given, like I said, ten verses and other verses that are synonymous. And so we look at how we should love the Lord and love one another in a truthful way. Again, not in the way that we prescribe. It's speaking of God's love when we look at term kesed through the scripture God's love in saving sinners and in uh, committing them covenanting with them as their their savior and in uh, bringing them into the church of Jesus Christ the Lord is the one who shows mercy in the ten commandments the word mercy is this word kesed he shows mercy unto thousands of them that love Him and keep His commandments. So it speaks of the Lord's love, 
I am the Lord, therefore thou shalt love Him. But it also speaks of our love for God and our love for, for our fellow man and especially for believers. In a real sense, we are in covenant with humanity. We're together as human beings and so we ought to honor all men and love people <clears throat> as creatures of God. But we're in a special covenant relationship with Christians as we're added to the church of Christ. And so we're in a general covenant with all of believers, but in special covenants in local bodies of Christians. <clears throat> we, we, we see in the Scriptures and in life that God has made us people to dwell in covenants, to um, interact in covenants. Again, you have the covenant of marriage. You have, uh, in many ways, a covenant of people in work, in, in the uh, creation institution of labor, as we work together uh, in society or work together in special businesses. But especially you have this covenant relationship in God's family, in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God really is from the outset after the fall of man uh, and right through the book of Revelation. Even though you don't have that statement, kingdom of God, there still is the, the concept of the kingdom in the Old Testament. And especially it finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. The kingdom of God is God's family in particular. And He is certainly working out His kingdom. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it in this life. The next time we see mercy and truth is in chapter 16 and verse 6. It speaks of God's lawful love to save sinners. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. You see the concept of, of atonement of the gospel there. By God's loving lawfully, He's able to purge iniquity. In other words, God did not suspend His justice or dismiss His justice to save sinners. His justice was upheld, but His mercy is shown in purging iniquity not by the condemnation of the sinner, but by the condemnation of the Savior. God Himself became man to be condemned, to die for our sins. And so you can see by mercy, by love, covenant love and truth, iniquity is purged. And so we find that God Himself has worn a necklace. He has a covenant token to uh, assure us that He intends to keep His promise in time and in eternity. The Lord is, has... With two, with two oaths, right? With His Word and with the oath of the covenant promised to save us from our sins. Well, as you and I reflect God's covenant love in our own relationship with the Lord and with our neighbors, there are certain evidences of people that have covenant love as shown in the book of Proverbs. Again, I, there are ten references in Proverbs to uh, covenant love, beginning with chapter three and, and even in the last 
or the second, yes, the last chapter 31, it says the virtuous woman, uh, her tongue is the law of kindness, literally the law of kesed, that uh, her kindness is more than just a human kindness. It is a, it is a godly kindness. It is a believing, a believer's kindness. So it's describing not just a mother, but a virtuous, godly mother in chapter 31. So let us look at some of these references and see how we can reflect the fact that we are in covenant with the Lord, in a loving covenant. He's loved us with an everlasting covenant, and in return we're able to say that we love Him everlastingly. We'll never stop loving Him. Oh, our love ebbs and flows. Our commitment ebbs and flows. At least we could say the, the degree of our commitment. But nevertheless, the Lord will not let us depart from that covenant relationship, no matter how hard sometimes we try by our backsliding and our, and our uh, decreasing uh, affection toward Him. Oh, that our, our love for the Lord would not ebb and flow, but would continue on the increase and flow until we are perfected, until we are glorified in, in heaven. And so, you know, the Roman Catholic Church has what's called rosary beads. Um, the idolatrous uh, vision of their, of their uh, repetitious, vain repetitious prayers. And you know, most beads are, are uh, reminding them of their Hail Mary prayer. And, and one out of, I think, ten beads is reminding them of the Lord's prayer. Well, if you will, we're putting on a necklace with beads and every bead represents something in Proverbs, let me just say, uh, that should remind us of how we should reflect the fact that we are in covenant with God. What should people see? What should Christians see on our necklace, in our lives? Well, chapter 9 and verse 8. It's a big one. It's not a small bead. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will show covenant love to you. He will express covenant love for you. And so, covenant love receives rebuke. That's that's a huge uh, trait of a believer, especially in the book of Proverbs. Now, in chapter 3, you remember, um, covenant love, covenant relationship with God will be evidence in faith in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. So, at the, re- the outset, our covenant love is shown by faith in God. I should have said this earlier. That is, first and foremost, believing on the Lord is an evidence of covenant love. In a famous verse that many people have memorized, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. That's the mercy and truth that's found in verse 3 of chapter 3. And so, your faith in God 
is evidenced by your loyalty to the Lord and your loyalty especially to God's people. Your covenant love. Rebuke a wise man and he will show you covenant love. Now the world, when they're rebuked, many times will lash back and defend themselves. But a test of our love is often when we're rebuked. And unfortunately, there are times when we do not show covenant love, our covenant relationship, when we do not respond well to rebuke. In chapter 1, verse 23, the Lord says, if you're going to be saved, you've got to, be, you've got to turn at my reproof. So, repentance is a result of God's reproof. And of course, as we've often said in Proverbs, we've taught that the sincerity of your repentance is that you forsake what you've repented of. It's not a vicious circle of committing sin and repenting, committing and repenting. It's committing, repenting, and forsaking. You're going forward. You're not just going in circles. So often... We find that in religion you'll have confession times and confession booths, but you're having to repeat them in a vicious circle, never getting victory because we need a new heart to have victory. We need the power of God. And it's interesting that in chapter 27 and verse 5 that we also are able to give rebuke. If you can receive rebuke, then you should have the privilege to dispense it when it's needed. And it's a covenant obligation. It says open rebuke is better than secret love. And that's not the word chesed, the word love there. It's the word affection, but it's a synonym. And faithful are the wounds of a loved one, of a friend, the word loved one. But the way it's, it's, it's set up chronologically, the person that, should, that has the, the privilege and power to dispense rebuke is someone that has first of all been able to receive it, right? Just like the Lord says, for instance, He says, make sure that your, the beam in your eye is removed before you can help your neighbor, your brother, remove the splinter in their own eye. So you, you have first of all the humility and then the ability to, uh, to rebuke others. But this is indicative of a believer. And why is it so hard for us to receive rebuke? To defend ourselves. And I confess my sin unto the Lord. I have prayed, Lord, help me. Would you make it easier for me to receive rebuke? Will you help me to be ready to have the spirit of one that if rebuke is needed, that I'll receive it? And again, uh, if you're truly loving the Lord and loving your neighbor, you'll, you'll take the responsibility of reproving your neighbor and not suffering sin upon him. And that's what it says, for instance, in Leviticus. Um, well, it says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou suffer thy neighbor to sin. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke him. That's a responsibility of those who are in a covenant relationship. So parents are responsible to receive, or to, yes, to receive rebuke, um, and is particularly responsible to, to, uh, to give rebuke. And yes, it's 
appropriate if our children see us sin and they point it out, we should be willing to receive it. But uh, normally it's the case of the parent who has uh, the responsibility of bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, receiving rebuke. Secondly, uh, a person who has covenant love is a forgiving person. Is a forgiving person. They are some are those that receive the rebuke uh, kindly and humbly. Not that they have to forgive the person that rebukes them, but again, he, he that covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall find covenant love. Chapter twenty-eight, verse thirteen. In other words, forgiveness is is the uh, the privilege of a believer being forgiven. Those who are not saved, who are not born again, are not forgiven. They're unforgiven people. And it's a very dangerous place to live, being unforgiven. Just like the song we sang today, Lord Jesus, how could it be that someone would ever dare to die without Thee? To, to to, to, even to live, we saying, how could we dare to live? How can anyone dare to live any longer or risk dying if they're without Christ? Because you die without Christ. You die Christless and your, your fate is sealed. It, your, your fate is sealed forever. There's no second chance. There's never been a person that died without Christ and said, give me another chance. Let me go back into life and I'll, I'll repent. I'll go to church. I'll listen to what my parents said. No, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. And so you see the point that it's, it's out of God's love and God's covenant relationship that He would cover our sins by the blood of His, His Son. And it's by our covenant love for others that we are forgiving in nature. That we're not quick to take offense, but we're quicker to, uh, to relieve, to release that guilt and to forgive a soul. But we need to, be, we need to remember to be able to rebuke that person. He that covers transgression seeks love is another text in Proverbs that shows the evidence of covenant love, a forgiving spirit, a forgiving spirit. Someone might ask the question, is there a forgiveness of self? Have you ever heard someone say, I can't forgive myself? Well, there is a sense that that's true, that if you and I are guilty of something, we know God forgives. But sometimes we we try to put the dark cloud over our heads for the rest of our lives. Forgiving self is really this, accepting the fact that God has forgiven me and now I can go forward. Is that something you're able to do? If God says, I forgive, are you and I above God? To live in guilt and to live with uh, inability or the failure to be able to forgive ourselves, if, as it were, we are seeking to be better than God. Or may I say, uh, 
to to uh, to live outside of God's covenant relationship. Well, there's a text that does address that. Chapter 11, verse 17. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. So there's a text that says that you do love yourself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, right? The, the merciful man doeth good to his own soul. And so, if you are living without Christ, you're not doing good to your own soul. If you dare to die without the Savior, you commit spiritual suicide. You're not loving your own soul. Let us, if God has forgiven us, how dare we not forgive and not go on uh, and seek uh, to go forward for the Lord. So covenant love not only is able to give rebuke and to receive rebuke, but to receive forgiveness and to grant forgiveness. That's, that's the, uh, the trademark of a believer. These are two that the Proverbs, Proverbs emphasizes over and over again. Thirdly, on our necklace is the bead of generosity. Chapter 14 and verse 21. Happy is he that hath mercy upon the poor. And the word is kesed. So we see our fellow man who is in need and we can meet a particular need. And we feel and we see that we are in a covenant relationship with all of humanity as creatures of God. But especially in the church where it says, do good to them that are of the household of faith. And so we honor the Lord, the maker of the poor, when... We are merciful to the poor. For chapter 14, verse 31. He that, uh, he that is, is generous to the poor honors the Lord, who is the poor's maker. In other words, uh, God will commit to bless those that are generous. That's an evidence of being a believer. That you and I are willing to help those that are in need, that cry for help. The fourth bead in Proverbs on the necklace of the believer is in chapter 15 and verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Contentment is a a mark of a believer. You and I, if we are in covenant relationship with God, understand that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That we, aren't, we don't need to worry about what we're eating or what we're being clothed with or where we're going to, to live. We cannot be anxious about these things. We've got to trust the Lord. And even if there's just herbs, um, it will be sufficient. It's better than an ox that is in the stall and hatred in the family where they have no covenant love. We can be content because the Lord is our Maker and the Lord is our Savior and He will take care of us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Are you content with your state, with your calling, with your lot? Trust the Lord that He does all things well. If you're a believer, a bead on your necklace of covenant love, Mercy and truth is that you're dependable, you're faithful. Chapter 17 and verse 17. A friend loveth at all times. Believers 
are not to be fair weather friends. John Mark seemed to be a fair weather, fair weather friend, and he returned to the Lord. But Demas departed from Paul when he needed him the most. He loved this present world. Ahithophel, when David needed him, turned on him. And you know a, a true believer who is loyal when the battle is fierce. When Christians have their backs against the wall, Paul could say that Luke is with him. Timothy was with him. That uh, there were others that stood with him. But even even in, in the thickest of times, he said, no man stood with me except the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Are you faithful? Are you dependable? Only when the wind is blowing from the south, only when things are going well. If you've ever been double-crossed by someone, it's, it's a scar that you'll see the rest of your life. It's not easy to take being double-crossed when people depart from you that you may have been in a relationship with spiritually in a church or in a marriage. May God help us to be faithful to Him and faithful to one another. A believer will have the, the bead of loving righteousness on his necklace. Especially believers who are in high places are responsible for loving righteousness because of how they can affect their whole realm. Chapter 16 and verse 13 Kings love those who speak right. And kings also are those that uh, we're told are faithful to their to their uh, people. But a righteous king, a believing king, we're told, will love those who speak right. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. And so you see here how important it is for um, godly leaders to be in office and how they should appreciate those who are righteous in their kingdom. And so often you find the people mourn because unrighteous kings and leaders are ruling and their servants are similar in nature. Of Jesus, it's prophesied in Psalm 40, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Do you love righteousness and hate iniquity? Then this is an evidence of, of being a believer and having covenant love. Another bead is humility. Chapter 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim his own goodness, his own kesed, but a faithful man who can find. I'm sorry. Most men will, will, will proclaim his own goodness, but a kesed man who can find. A faithful man. So, a person who's... Uh, who has a covenant relationship with God and is in the family of God is someone who's going to be humble. He's not going to, to praise himself. That's the idea here. You don't need to, 
to uh, build up ourselves. We humble ourselves. Your works will precede you if you're serving the Lord. Your love will precede you. Your love will not go unnoticed. And even if it does in some corners, it will not go unnoticed by the Lord. He is faithful to see the, uh, the servants of His that even give a drink of water to those in His name. May I say a true believer is self-unconscious? Let us strive to be self-unconscious. Just serve the Lord and one day be able to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that what you want to hear? Or do we want to hear people applaud us? Are we looking for the applause of people? Or are we looking for the pleasure of God? As I was saying earlier, that the responsibility of political fathers is to have covenant love. The Bible says, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by Kesed love. Then obviously, read between the lines how we would so desire to have Christian leaders, Christian mayors, Christian um, governors, Christian presidents, so few and far between. But thank God for those that are leading and know that they are responsible primarily before God. And what a wonderful thing it is for political fathers who are avoiding injustice, which is the, the point that um, the king's mother makes in chapter uh, 30, 31, where he's to avoid injustice. But I just want to close with the fact that someone who has covenant love will constantly pursue that love, never content with the degree that, he's, that he feels, that he exercises. Look at chapter 21 and verse 21. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy, he's pursuing covenant love. He's following, he's pursuing it, shall find life, righteousness, and honor. It's a sowing and reaping idea. If you are pursuing the exercise of lawful love, as it says here, he that followeth after righteousness and mercy. Righteousness is a similar thought to mercy and truth of the other four passages. If you're pursuing the lawful exercise of love, you're going to constantly find life that is uh, vigor, um, vitality, blessing, righteousness, more righteousness. Uh, how you see God opening the way for you in life and honor. He that honors me, I will honor. And so you see here a similar couplet to mercy and truth righteousness and mercy but the, 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 the terms are very similar and so we see the gospel works if you sow uh, Christian love if you love the Lord and you love souls and you love believers it will work it will work for you the Lord will create opportunity after opportunity for you to exercise that love you're seeking the Lord and you'll find just like it says in Proverbs 25, if thine enemy be hungry, what are we to do? Pursue love. Exercise love. 
This is a tremendous text on loving your enemy. Thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Some have thought that the, it, it, you're, you're, you're showing spite to your enemy by, by putting coals of fire upon your head. No, that's the idea, is you're taking, you're taking heat to him to light his fire. You're, you're seeking to help your, your enemy, not to uh, cause him to be embarrassed by your good deeds toward him. No, this is a true love for your enemy, for your enemy's soul. You're actually helping, not provoking or uh, making your enemy feel bad because he hates you. No, you're doing something to show your love and that you're not, uh, you're not bitter toward him. You can't help but remember the text I spoke of earlier. In chapter 31, verse 26, the apex of this chapter on the virtuous woman. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kesed, the law of kindness. A godly woman, for that matter, a godly person, whenever they open their mouth, it will be with wisdom, and their tongue will always be directed by the law of kesed, covenant love. You'll always be facilitating love. You'll always be exercising love if you're walking with the Lord. Are you wearing the necklace of love? Is that your token that you're a believer? It is, if you're a true believer. The ring is the token of marriage. The necklace is the token of your relationship with God, your Christianity. May God help us to be true to the token that we're wearing. We are the Lord's. And people can depend upon us to love them.